This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB Public Media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotrich-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder holds the Certificate Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Every Tuesday on Money Talks, we're here to answer your personal finance questions. Today, between your phone calls, we'll also talk about how long you should keep important financial documents and records. When you send an email, Nancy or Ryder will get in touch with you. We uh, generally don't have a whole lot of time on the air for emails, uh, but uh, we do give you an answer. So if you have a a question that you want to pose via email, it's money at mpbonline.org. I always like to start the show by talking about financial news in the news. So, Nancy, we'll let you go first. Well, good morning. Uh, We heard at the top of the hour, Kevin, that our consumer spending is holding up. And so this number is always backward looking. It's about what happened in September. We were expecting an increase of 0.3%. It came in at 0.7%. So the consumer is still very healthy and spending money. Now, if we look a little deeper into those numbers, we see a lot of that is in the auto industry. So people are buying new cars and also spending more on gasoline. And so that's where we can look at what's happening in the Middle East. And we're watching the price of oil. It is settling in about the mid-80s, which is really less than it was even before this conflict started. But uh, we traveled this weekend, and we saw a wide variance in the price per gallon. So over a short period of time, we saw, or a short distance, a difference of 50 cents a gallon. That's a real shock, and that's really dollars in your pocket. And I think we're going to see that because of the uncertainty and uh, the the wide variation that's happening in, in the daily price per oil and how it flows out. Um, and so that means as we get ready to gear up for traveling season for the holidays, really just to pay attention and plan ahead and watch for where you can get the best price per gallon. Also, I would uh, say that uh, I have one of the guest companies has a, a like a loyalty card, and so it saves me either three or five cents a gallon. It doesn't sound like a lot, but every little bit helps. And I think also uh, some gas stations uh, will let you use uh, Kroger points if you have them, uh, saving on gasoline as well. So that's a tip for uh, to save a little bit at the pump. So, Nancy, how do they measure consumer spending? I know no one called me and asked me about, you know, what shoes I had bought recently. <laughs> well, yeah, because they just, just listen on the radio. They're just like, well, we're going to tally Kevin up right here. We've got. <laughs> well, they're looking at retail sales numbers and uh, reporting on those. And again, it's backward looking. September is go back to school. That's where we're spending for all those school things. But, you know, sometimes we back up into August doing that. So it's not really a good measure. And, of course, we're watching other things like the big retail season coming up. And I'm already seeing Christmas trees and Christmas decorations out. 
So that's the big season Christmas is for retailers. And we're trying to figure out what does this mean for our retailers at Christmas time and when they make most of their profits. And we're also hearing they're not hiring as much. So my question is, is that because we are slowing down on our spending? Certainly we're spending less on physical goods and we've been spending more on experiences, eating out and traveling. That's even slowing down a little bit. Um, or are we just um, shopping differently? Are we buying more online? So that requires fewer actual employees handling that and in-store experiences. So we're waiting to see how all this plays out through the end of the year. All right. Ryder, what's on your mind this week? All of a sudden, I have several things on my mind, but I just wanted to point out, Kevin, that you have a really good point there asking how do they measure this consumer spending number? Because, no, they didn't call me. They didn't call you. They don't have our exact numbers. And it's just a good reminder that we talk about economic figures a lot, but always need to take these with a grain of salt or a big old lump of salt or a handful, however much salt you can handle uh, before you, you know, kind of dehydrate hydrate yourself. All of these numbers, they give a general idea of how things are going. They're meant for kind of high level decision making policies, companies investing, but they don't reflect every single individual. They don't reflect everything. They, you know, often it's just an aggregate number or an average number. Um, they just give an idea how things are, uh, but there's always going to be so much variance underlying. And and so speaking of taking things with a grain of salt, I just saw one year ago there was a headline on Bloomberg saying there was a 100% chance of recession within the next year. So here we are a year later, uh, the employment situation, again, these aggregate numbers still improving. More people are employed now, especially prime age folks, people are earning more. Nancy pointed out, consumer spending is still increasing. And again, that's not to say this is the case for everyone or for each individual out there. Um, and that's not to say for a given person that everything about their own financial situation has improved. Of course, everyone's looking and saying, oh, my groceries have increased in price. Oh, it was, you know, I had to move and it was so, so difficult to get a mortgage and a house and this was so expensive. There have been difficult aspects of everyone's situation. But again, the broad general numbers we look at, the economy does continue to improve. Um, and then there's also uh, some other, other things going on that I did want to mention, uh, just because we, we've talked about it from time to time, but Student loan repayments have started back, uh, and it's really important if you have not already, make sure you check your servicer. Uh, if you if it's been a long time, you don't remember who your servicer is. You don't. They have maybe your servicer has changed. You can find that on the Department of Education website. Uh, you need to verify what your payment plan is. Figure out what works best for you. These payments would have started back. They're supposed to start back at the beginning of this month. So. Hopefully you've already got all this done, but just if you haven't, this is what you need to do. Um, check with your servicer. Talk to them and see if there is any forgiveness in your plan, either that public service forgiveness or uh, that co there are many plans that have some forgiveness after quite a long time of paying back. But you can see where you are. It's, it's been years. Uh, get those payments set up. Uh, again, there's some automatic forbearance available, I think, the first year. They are not, there's no, there's no credit report hit for not paying. Uh, however, your interest will accrue. So it is real important that you go ahead for your financial situation and start paying regularly. Don't do it. I generally am not recommending people do a lump sum unless you, it really makes sense to knock it all out right now. Um, 
But if you have not already, uh, this may be my last warning to you. Go ahead and get on top of your student loans. And Nancy, did you have a follow-up of a thought? Well, I was just going to back up to this idea of the data that we look at, the economic mm. data. And um, we, you know, instead of looking at just one snapshot, we're going to watch trends over a longer period of time. And so any one bit of grain of salt, writer, uh, may not tell mm. us the full picture, but if we step back and look at the over a period of months, then we can see what, what is happening. And over a long period of months, it is just astounding to me how people are still opening up their wallets and spending. We do have a caller. Catherine's called in from Columbus today. Good morning. You're on the air with us, so go ahead. Good morning. Uh, yes, I think I need a financial planner. I inherited a, a retirement annuity uh, from a friend, and I have a problem figuring out what to do with the minimum distribution checks I get every year. I've got money stashed in savings accounts and checking accounts and CDs and so forth. I was told that a fiduciary would be better than someone who represents some particular uh, investment program. And I was referred to someone in the Golden Triangle area, and I didn't know if you had any other recommendations for people in my area. I would just encourage you to look for, as you say, a fiduciary, um, a fee-only advisor. Uh, We are fiduciaries in in our business, and we are required to put our clients' interests before our own. And that is a higher standard than what is called suitability. So many brokers are under a suitability standard, which means they can put their interest before their clients as long as they can still show what they're offering or suggesting or recommending to their clients is suitable for their situation. So it's a little bit different there. And uh, fee-only advisors will not be motivated by differences in commission. But you still want to understand with anyone you work with, how are they being paid? We like the fee-only model because it's very clear that you're either paying for somebody's time or you're paying a percentage of the assets that they are managing for you. And so you can look at various ones around you. I do know there is one in your area and um, and see if, if they are performing the same way that you would like to uh, have it done and then sit down and meet with that person or talk with them on the phone and see if you fit personality-wise because that's very important that you um, really have a good relationship with that person so that you can tell them everything that they need to know and they can can give you the best advice possible. And don't be afraid to ask for references uh, either. We have that question that comes up with us a lot that we will uh, give out some names once we ask that permission of those people that we are offering as references and um, and then just talk to people that you know, family and friends, who have they used, who have they had a good experience with and go from there. Yeah, and Catherine, I would say actually if I do know a couple people in the Golden Triangle area, if we can uh, get your either your phone number or your email so we can kind of put you in touch if, if that would be helpful. Uh, just two things I want to point out. One that Nancy mentioned, don't be afraid just to call a, a an RIA, a registered investment advisor, and just say, hey, I I have a situation. I, would, I am looking at a couple of advisors. I just want to talk to you about how you work and if I would be comfortable working with you. That happens all the time. People come and just talk to us, hear what 
what our investment philosophy is, what our approach is, what other services people get for uh, the, the fee that they're paying. I think that's very important. Nancy already mentioned fee only. I think that's super important. It helps eliminate a lot of conflicts of interest. Um, another thing I want to point out is you said you inherited a, an annuity, uh, a retirement annuity. So when talking about uh, different types of investment advisors, one selling an annuity. So if you reached out to the annuity company or the person who was servicing the annuity before, that person is someone who probably gets paid, uh, likely got paid on a commission, maybe has some trailing fee coming out of there. So that's just a different way they earn money. They're being paid by the annuity company and not necessarily by you. So that's what we talk about, about those conflicts of interest. Are you the one directly paying them or are they being paid by a company who has a product to sell? Um, so that's really important. You also mentioned, uh, I guess this is a bonus third thing. You mentioned uh, taking required distributions. Of course, if you inherit a retirement style account, you will have reti- uh, required minimum distributions. If you are over 70 and a half, there are some, uh, we talk a lot about giving to charity. If you do some charitable giving, there are a lot of tax planning opportunities you might have. Um, but it sounds like you've got a lot of different places, a lot of different things in a lot of different places, and, it, and you benefit a lot uh, from working with an advisor who can kind of help you wrap their wrap your hands around that whole thing so if it's possible to uh hang on to the phone uh give a phone number and an email so we can uh pass you some names give you a little more um things to think about in your uh journey go ahead Nancy. and i want to also say that we know a lot of really good commission advisors out there and that's fine um as long as you as the client the customer as long as you understand how someone is being paid and everything is disclosed to you so you can make informed decisions. All right, Catherine. So we're going to put you back on hold if you would like. Uh, leave some contact information. As I said, Ryder will follow up you with uh, some of the folks that he knows in your area. You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand to all the local MPB Think Radio programs. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder, ready for your personal finance questions as we are each Tuesday. Today, we're also going to talk about what financial documents you should save and for how long. We do have a caller getting lined up, but uh, one other thing, news, uh, money news in the news, a funny little story. I went to get a prescription filled the other day at uh, one of the pharmacies, and as I was filling out the paperwork, the, um, the lady asked me if I had my red and blue card, uh, and yeah. I was like, what is that? And she said, it's the Medicare card, and I'm like... I'm old, but I ain't that old yet. So, um, um, Kevin, Kevin, confession here. Okay. I just signed up. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to bring up because isn't October the month that you that's make well, these right. decisions? This, this is <clears throat> open enrollment. Is that's what they call open enrollment right now that started October 15th. But um, this is my first time since I'm having a very important birthday in January. And I have to tell you, I feel like I have won the lottery. Congratulations, Nancy, and you're I welcome. So I am so excited. Yes, yes. Thank you for keep paying, <laughs> to keep paying those taxes, Ryder. Uh, and do it for a long time. I plan to be around for a long time. Um, but um, it, it is such a relief to me because we've been paying under um, our company, 
plan, which is very expensive when you're a little bit older and um, limited, very limited in coverage. And so it's nice to be able to move over to this new plan under Medicare. So I am proud that my blue and red card is in the mail as we speak. And I've already done my homework and I've chosen my uh, Part D plan and also my Medigap plan. So I am on board. That's excellent that you have already started that process. Uh, that It's a really important aspect. It, there, There's a lot to go through, especially if it's your first time signing up, finding out what What's your what's your drug plan like you mentioned? What's your main plan? What do you want out of it? And there's all the kind of um, all the other letters and numbers they have there that you want to make sure you've got the right one. Don't put that off. Uh, it's 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 a very important decision. And and of course, don't put off signing up because there can be some penalties associated as well. So and you can start signing up two months before your um, birth month. Three, and, three, I think. And two months after. But if you delay, then it could mean a delay in your coverage getting started. So I wanted to be early. And also, I know a lot of people out there sign up for Medicare Advantage. We are not big fans of Medicare Advantage. That's part C. Even though it sounds like an easy way to go, it sounds like a good deal, you know, and if something is too good to be true, it probably is. And so everything I've been reading says, if you can afford the traditional Medicare plan, you're probably better off. And um, especially if you do any traveling, uh, because then you don't have to worry about uh, limitations with certain PPOs or HMOs that are part of those Advantage plans. So I know AARP has been a good source for information about this. Nancy, do you have uh, a, 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 an area, a source, a reference that people might uh, call on if they're making the same decisions that you're having oh, to? yeah. She, she sits in my office. Right <laughs> uh, Chanda yeah. is, you know, she comes from the healthcare industry. She has been a wealth of information, has helped a lot of our clients. Mm-hmm. I have been picking her brain as I have gone along in this process. <laughs> and, uh, and so she was explaining to me even about the Medicare Advantage and how, um, yes, they can say, well, we, we, we can cover the same doctors and things, but it may not flow through the way you think it does. Um, I'm also watching several webinars which um, discourage Advantage plans, even though about a third of people do that. So, I mean, but you got to do what you got to do and to get the best coverage you can. But either way, for most people, it's a step up as far as um, reducing your cost and expanding your coverage when you go from private pay and certainly from no insurance to the Medicare system. I think uh, another good resource, if people do not have access to the inside of our office, yes. is that um, is just the the Medicare.gov. They have a booklet called Medicare and You. You can get the PDF online. You can have them mail it to you. Um, it's again, you know, I'm a big fan of going to the original source. If you have a tax question, go to IRS.gov. They have the answers. They are the people who make up the answers. Uh, Medicare.gov has the booklet Medicare and You. It's um, it has 
it, it details everything about all of the different plans. Uh, it talks about how coverage works. Uh, it talks about how coverage works when you have other healthcare plans out there. And if, you know, do you need to sign up if you are still working or do you need to sign up if you have a plan elsewhere? What do you need to sign up for? What are your deadlines? What are the, what are the consequences of doing this or not doing that? It has those answers. Um, I know it's, other other sources may put things in a more uh, fun to read or maybe distill some information and put it you know in kind of a simple format and those are great but if you want the source the comprehensive information and it's actually it's actually a very it's a very user friendly document um, medicare.gov go find the medicare and you uh, booklet if you if you want it in paper i believe they will mail it to you for free I believe they'll mail you as many as you want. If you want to get a whole stack of them, just hand them out to your friends. Yeah, have a have a little dinner party about it. I'm just certain you are older than me. No, I'm not quite. I've got a couple of years left there. So. Well, got a couple of years left. Well, look, um, and and even all of those senior citizens discounts, which I used to be a little offended about. I'm like, I'm taking them. As I agree. I'm taking all of them. Yep. Um, so, and one other final thing, because we do have a caller on the line that we'll get to in just one second. Uh, be careful about the choices that you make, because whatever you make, you are stuck with at least until next October. Am I correct about that? I mean, you are, except the first time that you sign up, you do have a window of time that you can change your mind. Okay. As I mentioned, we've got a caller on the line, so we say good morning to Dave, who's called in from Selmer, Tennessee. Dave, you're on the air with us. Go ahead with your question. Good morning. I appreciate your program. I've actually got a couple of questions, and it has to do with uh, income tax liability. I have a a life insurance policy that I'm thinking about cashing in that uh, all of a sudden I'll be 71 here in a couple of weeks, and they decided they were going to double the premium on it. So I'm thinking I might just cash the policy in and, uh, you know, take the value of whatever's there instead of I feel like this is only the beginning. The older you get, they think you're going to kick the bucket, so they keep raising the premiums higher and higher. And the second is my wife has some unclaimed money. Our son looked on the Tennessee website, and she has some unclaimed funds there. The question is, are either one of these taxable? The unclaimed funds, I, I, I don't know. Um, because I'm not sure where they came from. Was it a refund? Uh, was it interest from something? You won't know until you get to the next tax year to see if they send you a 1099. Um, now, your life insurance policy, this sounds like a whole life policy or maybe a universal life policy, and you are correct. Um, it is designed to cover for your whole life, and as you age, the cost of the insurance goes up, so it starts to eat into the cash value. And so you need to ask the question, do I really need life insurance for my whole life, or do I need that cash in my pocket? If you take that cash, some portion of that will be taxable income. You can call the company. You can ask that question. They are not always able to answer it very clearly. Sometimes they have to put in um, to get their accounting department to do that calculation for you. But some of that will be considered income and will be reported uh, on your income taxes. Um, I would just add, on unclaimed property, it is usually, again, because the process it goes through and the amount of time that it has to pass before uh, it is 
you know, abandoned to the state or, or whatever the term is, it is usually not taxable because the taxable event there would have already happened and it would have happened years ago. So for instance, I don't know where this source of unclaimed money comes from. You know, some of it may just be this was uh, this was payroll money and the business forgot to pay her and they found the records years later and they couldn't find her. Uh, it could be a life insurance policy. Typically, you can, you're can you going to receive that without uh, – that's not going to be taxable. Um, if it was maybe – even, for instance, if it was an old IRA, typically – uh, what happens is it's actually brought out of the IRA. So the adverse tax event already happened in so many cases. Maybe it was a stock or a bond. It had already been sold because it is usually just cash that the treasurer, the treasurer's office has for you. They are usually not delivering a security with any embedded uh, taxable gains. So that's just one thing to think. I, and absolutely, go claim it. I, the, the tax is not going to be greater than the amount that you receive. That's not... It's not really a feasible situation. And that's a great reminder and, to anybody. Just check that unclaimed property yes, every now and then. Absolutely. We do that for clients from time to time. You know, occasionally they get it 20 bucks. We had a client get a couple thousand. Uh, yeah, it's, it's fun when you get something, and maybe there's a story behind it. And it, it feels like money in the couch or in the dryer, you know? <laughs> oh, it absolutely uh, is. Any state where you've lived, just, you know, if it's a rainy day, you're not doing anything, go online and check that website. Look for your name. See if it matches and an address will usually be there. And you can say, well, did I live there? That might be me. Or you might find some relatives that have some money. All right, uh, Dave, oh. We go ahead. I was just going to say that this is another whole story. We know where the money came from. My wife. Her mother passed away, and she had some stock in an oil well. Mm. And we didn't sign on to any of that because there's five other siblings, and she contacted them, and they didn't seem to be interested. So that's where it came from. We know that it came from this oil well proceeds. Mm. It's been going probably 15 years or longer. Mm-hmm. But the, the, the kicker to that is they want her to sign on so they can send you the bill when the oil well is not making money as well as the profits when it is. So that's why we haven't done anything. And after a period, they turned it over to the state as in unclaimed money. So that's how that happened. But again, I don't know if that means anything or not. But if I just I didn't know if there's a step once it gets to the state if it's unclaimed, because I don't want to get involved with this oil well with five other people. And you know, there's so many strings on this thing. It's just I don't even want to get involved with it. You know. Yeah, I mean, again, typically once the state has, they're not passing you the oil well. This, I mean, that could be different, of course. Uh, Typically, it is just here's some value. Like there was some dissolution of the the contracts, the oil well, whatever, and and they were like, okay, here's the value left in it that we're just gonna that belongs to these. I, I could I could be wrong there, but it is typically just dollars. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're both chartered financial analysts. Ryder holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Nick has called in from Columbus today. Nick, it's your turn. You're up on the air, so go ahead. Uh, Good morning, and appreciate you taking my call. I have a question. Uh, you keep saying that, and I know it's true, that uh, people are, keep spending money. They keep spending money. 
uh, there, and I want to know where is this keep spending money coming from? Is it from available cash? Is are people increasing their credit card debt? Are they using it from savings account? Where is this money coming from? And and if they are using it from uh, those sources, they're reducing uh, their assets and increasing their liabilities, which somewhere down the road they got to stop. Can you answer that question? Well, we keep thinking somewhere down the road they're going to stop. Um, we've been seeing that um, a lot of the cash from stimulus packages through the pandemic, that is gone, long gone. Uh, we've also seen some savings declines as at the same time we've seen some increases in credit card uh, amounts per household. That's been a little concerning to me. But for most people, it comes from current income. So if we look at the labor market and we see very low unemployment rates, if people are working, we also know that they are getting raises. And if their incomes are rising because they're getting a raise at work or they're able to move to a better paying job, then they're going to spend money because there is this feeling of I'm working, everybody's working around me, I'm good, uh, my job's good. Now, at the same time, we're starting to hear about some layoffs. And that will have an impact. But that's been the puzzle. Why do people keep spending as if there's no tomorrow? I think there's been a real change in our mindset through this pandemic. Um, So many people have had the feeling of, uh, I was locked down for a period of time. Uh, My life was limited. I didn't see friends or family. I didn't travel. I didn't enjoy life. And life is too short, and I'm just going to spend and go. And where we're starting to see the spending being held up the most has been, Kevin, our group, the older group. You know, we have more discretionary income, more savings. We're either passing it on to our adult children or by golly, we're taking those trips and we're doing those things that we want to do because life is too short. So I think we're going to be studying this for a long time, but I don't see the train slowing down as long as our labor market is as tight as it is and our employment situation is as good as it is. Yeah, and I just want to add, uh, Nick, that, that, that's a really fantastic question. Where, I always want to know that question too. Where does the money come from? And so you're like, you asked, and like Nancy said, kind of from all those places, credit cards, just to add a little bit of color to it, though, credit cards, and this has gotten a lot of talk in popular financial uh, media, credit card balances are way back up uh, from the past two years. Um, but really, credit card spending increases or were just kind of on trend for what we were, because in 2020, people got a lot of money. And a lot of stimulus money, and so much of that was used to pay down credit cards. Also, the spending on credit cards, this type of spending we were doing wasn't as credit card friendly money. So that people built up a lot of good credit during the pandemic. And so they've had a lot of credit available just to get back to their old balances that they owed. So while that's been a source of money, it hasn't really tipped into a, oh no, we're in an excessive stage there. So we're, you know, we're 
Watch that trend, but it's not been excessive yet. Um, and then the personal savings, just the cash savings people have that Nancy mentioned, uh, that was super high during 2020, 2021. Lots of stimulus money just sitting in bank accounts. A lot of that spent down pretty quickly in the end of 2000, uh, 2021 and end of, uh, beginning of 22. Um, we're kind of back to historical levels there. There has been, you, know, you want to talk about the last six months of spending. There has clearly that some of that has come out of savings. And then one other thing, when we talk about employment, yes, more prime age folks are working, but also, yes, fewer uh, 55 and up folks are returning to work. People are really retiring. So this money is coming out of IRAs. This money is coming out of pension payments. This money is coming out of any other retirement income sources that folks had. It's just pure spending money at this point. That's, you know, retirement is a, such a big uh, financial decision because it's the point where you stop earning and you start spending. It's it's that it's that one point where all of that changes, and that's happening for more and more people uh, now. And of course, you can't take it with you. But we're always saying, but you want to make sure it lasts until you go. Uh, and that's we don't the know when that appointed day is. So be careful. All right, uh, Nick, we appreciate your call. Good questions, simulated some discussion there. And since we mentioned credit card spending, I think it's always important to uh, kind of remind folks of uh, your thoughts, uh, Ryder and Nancy, about responsible credit card usage. Ryder, let's let you go first. What are some tips? Yes, be responsible. But what does that mean? Um, don't uh, – just the real general rule I always say is do not put more on a credit card than you can actually spend. Uh, credit cards are a great tool for, one, gathering all of your payments in one place and putting that payment off for just a little while. You can you pay it at the end of the month. So it's great for managing your cash flow. If you get paid once a month, then it can be difficult to go throughout the month and pay for your gas and your groceries and your restaurants all throughout the month. But if you have a single payment that is due a few days after your single paycheck comes in, that is a real convenient way to manage your cash flow, so long as you're not spending too much. Um, really, a, a lot of people like to play credit card games where they chase reward points. I just I prefer just a simple cash back rewards just so you can apply those couple dollars you're going to earn every month to your next bill. Um, if you have a, <clears throat> a specific uh, travel or restaurant card that you, gives you specific benefits that you will use, do that. I, I don't, I'm not a big fan of playing the game because it's just too easy to slip up, forget a payment, and really, really get hammered with some, some fees there. Um, and then also the kind of one exception we will have to only put on a credit card what you can actually afford is um, is if you already have a lot of credit card debt but you still have a good credit score, you can probably get a balance transfer card which may allow you to transfer to a new card with a really good rate, maybe a 0% interest rate for a certain amount of time. It's a good tool, again, as long as you can be disciplined about paying that off, again, you're probably only going to have six, 12, 18 months to pay that off, but you can have huge interest savings uh, if, if you have just kind of a lot of debts in a lot of places right now, but you can get serious about tackling that. How about you, Nancy? What do you have? Well, I think they, they're very practical, and certainly if you manage your credit cards 
reasonably, you're going to build a good credit record. And everybody needs that good credit record and a good credit score so you can buy a house, buy a car, and do all kinds of other things. Um, and also the practical side of it is that we are purchasing so many more things online now. Mm. And you've got to have a credit card to do that. So it makes sense to have that. Now, I'm always trying to tell people uh, only put on that card what you can pay off at the end of the month. That's right. So that's what Ryder was talking about, what you can afford. But the problem is we've got Christmas coming up, you know, and you've got a family, you've got three kids, you've got three bikes you've got to purchase. It's not always possible to pay everything off that month. But you don't want to be paying for last Christmas when this Christmas is coming up. So make a plan. If you have some rolling over, that's why we call it revolving credit. If it's rolling over to the next month, make a plan to get rid of it within two, three, or four months at tops. And also, finally, try to stick with just one main card. And that one main card, if you manage it wisely, it won't get away from you. And that total amount hits you in the face every month. That's how much I racked up. That's how much I owe. Because you can fool yourself into thinking you don't owe that much when you have five or six cards with small amounts on them. Also, and as Ryder mentioned, that with that many cards, you're liable possibly to slip up and forget something with one. And it, plus, it's, it's just easy. a hassle having to track down that many things each month. So, yeah, limit the number of cards. That's a good tip as well. Money Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal finance broadcast, and we're glad you found our show. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lottridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. We do have a caller on the line, and as promised, we will go now to Alice, who calls us from Macomb. Good morning, Alice. You're on the air. Go ahead. Good morning. I'm going to do the best that I can because I don't understand a lot. I want to get a, a Chapter 1 Visa card. I want to get this one. And I don't understand the API stuff. Is this too high? 28.99%. So that that is a very high APR. So, of course, the APR is the annual percentage rate. So that is what they charge when you have a balance that you carry over from month to month. Now, um, Alice, when when you're thinking about getting a credit card, which, again, we think it's a very good tool. We just talked about that. What – What's your plan? Are you planning on only spending what you can afford to pay off? Is that the idea? Accumulate some credit there? Uh, I guess uh, pay a certain amount a month. I do you say, for instance, if it's 450, I have to pay that whole, I spend, I have to pay that whole 450 off a month. I mean, in, in one month or. They charge no. you a certain amount of payment each month. Right. Alice, the average um, interest on credit cards right now is around 20 to 21%. That is higher than it was just 12 to 18 months ago. You're being charged higher than average, which means your credit score may not be high enough to get that average. And so that's why they're able to charge you that much more. You might want to check with some other companies to see if they would give you a better rate because it sounds like you're talking about only paying a small amount a month and allowing it to roll over. 
So if you think about almost 30% on everything you purchase, that's a large amount um, to be facing, and that's going to accumulate. So whatever you don't pay, you're going to have interest on top of interest happening with that. So I would tell you, first of all, to shop around. Do you um, have a local bank account? Yeah, I have an account. I called because I got this in the mail, Capital okay. One, and I wanted to understand that the annual fee $95 a uh, Right. Oh, wow. Okay. So go to your local bank and ask them if you can have a credit card through your local bank. Many of them will offer that and see what kind of rate they would charge you at the local bank. Um, I'm a little concerned about that high of a rate uh, because that can lead to you getting into trouble very quickly. Especially, she mentioned, it sounds like it also has an annual fee on there. Yeah, so, that's I mean, surprising. that's that annual fee now may be less than the interest that she ends up paying if she's not paying the full balance off. But that, you, you just don't need to have that. Um, and that could be a function of maybe what her credit score is. I, I think, Alice, Whenever you're looking at a credit card offer, you want to think first, not, 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 is this an attractive credit card? Not, is this fee low enough? Is this interest rate low enough? Is this a good company to have a credit card with? The first thing you need to think about is, do I need a credit card? Would I benefit from a credit card? And like Nancy and I always say, will I pay that off fully at the end of every month? Um, so if if this is something that can help you avoid using some other, maybe even higher interest, so sometimes if, if someone can finally qualify for a credit card, that can help folks avoid payday lenders. I think that's a great idea. I'd rather pay you know, even the high credit card interest than the absolutely extortionary payday lending fees. Uh, so just think about do you need it and will you benefit from it uh, before you start to say, okay, what is the interest rate that works for me? What is what is the card and the features that work for me? That's your first step. And if you're well, using I, it, I just... Mean, I don't, excuse me for cutting you off. That's why I call you too, because I don't understand all of this stuff. And that's why I call for you all to tell me if this is a good idea. So you say to the bank, so I got this here in the mail, Capital One, and I need an extra card, I think. I just got my uh, debit card at my bank. I don't have no other uh, credit card. Well, I would ask them if they would do a credit card separately. Um, but at least, Alice, you say, oh, I don't understand it. But you understood enough to read that and know that interest rate charge. Um, also know when you look at your credit card statements for everybody out there, there's going to be one interest rate on new purchases. If you do cash advances, you typically have an even higher rate they charge you. So be careful. So it'll be best not to just, just forget about a extra. I'm 75 years old anyway. Alice, it sounds like you've made it a good long while without a credit card. I don't I don't know. I don't know that you need one if you're managing your finances and you're managing 
well with your debit card and you're careful with that, the only advantage a credit card is going to have is a little bit of an extra layer of security between you, uh, your spending and your bank account and security in the sense of if someone steals your debit card, they've got your they've got direct access to your bank. Now, you can work with your bank to get that money back if you catch it. Uh, but if somebody steals a credit card, they are not stealing your money there. That is not your money they've taken. That's that's the only advantage uh, to a credit card that I see for you right now. All right, Alice. Good call. Thanks for that. Uh, <clears throat> so, um, you know, I think that's – Alice – is not un- atypical in that p- people get credit card offers all the time through the mail, and it is enticing. So the the good thing, I thought Ryder made a great point. First of all, think about how hard you really need a credit card, but then also definitely check out both the interest rate and any annual fees or other fees that the card charges. That is going to wrap us up for today. Uh, Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio and is funded in part by financial support from listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can go to moneytalks.mpbonline.org or listen to the podcast by searching for Money Talks. For Dr. Nancy Lotcher-Janerson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.